You're going to need them this morning. Of course, you need them every morning. But we're going to look at at least four different verses, passages of Scripture this morning. Jason will put them up on the screen. And I didn't put them in the email that I sent out yesterday because of there being so many different ones. But he'll put them up that you can always follow. We'll be in Isaiah, and three verses and passages in Isaiah, and we'll be in one in Malachi this morning. So I'll give you the Scripture. You can maybe jot them down, write them down, or earmark them. But we'll be in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Isaiah 7, 14, just one verse. Isaiah 40, 3 and 5, and then Malachi 3, 1. That'll be the verses we're going to look at this morning. They're all uh, Old Testament prophets. and They all have a lot to do with the Christmas story. The title of the message is Hope Found in Jesus. Now that word hope is something we're going to focus on today. It's in, it's in the message to this morning. Very deep in the message this morning. It's also in the message this evening. So if you come back at 5 o'clock, we'll be looking at the source of all hope. And there's several verses of Scripture. You can look in the, in the Bible, man. You can see just uh, hundreds and hundreds of verses of Scripture and passages that point to hope. And you think about it, hope is a really good word. It's really one that we use a lot. and We lean on it a lot. And so we're going we're gonna to look at it this morning pretty, pretty heavy Thanksgiving's in the past, man, that was a big day, it was a big time at this church, we had a lot going on, uh, Thanksgiving's in the past and Christmas is right around the corner, you know, it was 12 months away, it was 6 months away and then boom, all of a sudden it's here, amen, have you got your Christmas shopping done, no, well you running out of time, okay, alright, but it's right around the corner, here's the thing, here's some good news, you can officially start listening to Christmas music now. You can start doing it. Now, there's some unwritten rule that you can't listen to Christmas before Thanksgiving. Y'all ever heard that? Can't listen to it before Thanksgiving. But the minute Thanksgiving is here and it's over, boom, you can start listening to Christmas music. And we're going to look at that. Over the next four weeks, the next four Sundays, especially in the morning time, we're going to look at some scripture that leads up to the birth of Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what we're going to focus on in December. Get excited about December because you focus on those passages of Scripture that point to the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at those over the next four weeks. But there's some specific passages that God give us that are indicated to prepare people for the birth of Jesus Christ. He gave us these Scriptures back from the Old Testament to get these people ready for the actual birth. And so it's the same thing for us. All right, when you look at the birth of Jesus Christ, you don't just look at the birth when he came. You always look beyond the birth to the second coming of Christ. Amen? Because that's what the scripture's looking at. Because of the birth, there was a birth, and then there's going to be a second coming of Christ. But it's important that we look at it in that perspective. All right, as we begin our scripture that leads up to the birth of Jesus Christ, I want us to focus on preparing our hearts for that birthday celebration. We're going to focus on preparing our hearts for the birth of the Savior of the world. Man, it's a significant birthday. We all have a birthday, and we all think it's the most important day of the year. Amen? But this one is significant, all right? And this one is the one we're going to focus on. We're going to prepare our hearts for the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're going to celebrate it all month long. And we're especially going to celebrate it coming into the 24th when we have our Sunday service on the 24th. And then the evening service going into our Christmas day. 
but there's some special events that are required for planning in any celebration. You think about yesterday's event that took place, and you want to ask some of those people that were involved in the preparation of the wedding from yesterday about the amount of preparation that went into it, the amount of planning that went into it. For weeks, they've been thinking about it, talking about it, preparing for it. There's a lot of preparation went into the meal that we took place after the wedding yesterday. All of that had preparation. All of it had planning, and the exact same thing took place for the birth of Jesus Christ because there was a lot of preparation that took place. God did a lot of planning before it actually took place. He orchestrated a lot of different things. Now, I want to focus on a few things this morning. As significant as the crucifixion is, and it's significant, as significant as the resurrection is, and it is even more significant, and as significant as if it wasn't for the resurrection, we couldn't have salvation because salvation only comes from believing in the resurrection, amen? But if it wasn't for the birth of Jesus Christ, none of that could have took place. You understand what I'm saying? It's very important. The birth is just as important because without the birth, none of that could have took place. And all that was important. The title of the message this morning is Hope Found in Jesus. And when I look at these verses of Scripture, I see hope all in these verses of Scripture and all these passages. But when you focus on it, it's found in one person only, and that person is Jesus Christ. That's where it's found. It's found in God the Father. It's found in God the Son. It's found in God the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that all throughout the year. We talk about that hope and where it's found and how God works through us and how He works through the Holy Spirit through us. And I want to focus on that word hope, especially in our time in this church. Man, there's things that we hope for for this church. There's things that we hope for in our own personal lives. But when you get... When you get specific about it, the word hope is used very frequently just casually throughout the day, isn't it? Think about, I hope I didn't lose my car keys. How simple is that? Huh? Have you ever lost them? I hope I didn't lose my wallet. That's another good one. I hope I can find my way home. I hope you don't mind if we join you for supper. You ever had that one? It's not a problem at Pine Hill, but I hope you don't, okay? I hope you can, I hope they turn their lives around. I hope I'm in a place to help them when they need to be helped. I hope that they get out of the hospital. I hope there's a healing process that takes place. But the Bible is full of scripture that points to the word hope. It points to the definition of hope. It points to the characteristic of hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And while we all have hope in many things, I can't think of a better place to place my hope in than in Jesus Christ. Amen. If I got a hope in anything, it's very important that we place our hope in Jesus Christ. All right? So, church, the story of Christmas does not start in Bethlehem. Even though we sing about, oh, little town of Bethlehem and, and beautiful star of Bethlehem, the, the birth of Jesus Christ did not start in Bethlehem. It did not start with Mary and Joseph. It did not start with Gabriel appearing to Mary and telling him that she was going to have a child at, at a young age as a virgin. It didn't start then. It started many, many years ago. Let me be realistic. The, star, the story of Christ, Christmas began before God ever created man. Can you get your hands around that? Can you understand that? Before God even created time, he created this story that Jesus was going to come to this earth because he knew when he created man, because he's omnipotent. He knows all things. He knew what his creation was going to do. He knew what he was going to have to do to bring back in a right relationship. The story of Christmas began many, many years. Time, there's no essence to it, but it began a long time before God ever created man. This morning, 
We're going to look at several Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ. And they called it the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ. These prophecies reveal to us the reliability of God's word. They they show us the, the prophecies and how they come true, how God is reliable, how he's dependable. And as we open up the word together, we're going to look at Isaiah and Malachi, two of the Old Testament prophets. Two people who had a lot to say about the coming of Jesus Christ. And they're specific. Some of them, a lot of things to say. Isaiah had a lot to say about it. Malachi, not as much. But yet they all have some important issues. And we're going to look at those this morning. When we look at those verses of Scripture, it gives us a really good picture of what this birth looks like. It gives us a really good understanding of who Jesus Christ is. They're found in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament. You think about it now. These happen hundreds of years before the birth ever took place. Now, we know that when we plan for a wedding or we plan for something, we plan months in advance, sometimes even a year, right? All right, we're planning for time. This, these things happen four, five hundred years before this event ever took place. Throughout Scripture, Scripture includes prophecies of, of the entire life of Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we see the prophecies coming for uh, being fulfilled. When it talks about, you can look at the, in the Old Testament, you look at the announcement of the coming of Jesus Christ. But when you move into the New Testament, you see the virgin birth. The virgin birth was predicted in the Old Testament, but it's fulfilled in the New Testament. You see the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. You see the sacrificial death when he goes to the cross. All this is predicted and all this is talked about. And then you see the return that he's going to come to claim his own. The second coming of Christ, which is super important for you not to overlook. Because of these promises from God found in Scripture, Scripture stands as a testament of hope found in Jesus Christ. This shows us where our hope needs to be. It shows us where Christian hope needs to be. And our hope in the Lord is when he stepped out of heaven for the one purpose of fulfilling the will of God. And that's what we all need to be looking for, for the the will that God had for our lives. But for the will that he had for the Son of Man was for the purpose of going to the cross. If you are able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Starting with Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and he will be named Emmanuel. Isaiah 40, verses 3 and 5. A voice of the one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight pathway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And we look at Malachi 3.1. See, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant you delight in, see, he is coming, 
says the Lord of armies. Pray with me, please. Father, I ask you bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. And Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Hope is defined as the expectation or belief of the fulfillment of something desired. Something desired. The expectation of something to be fulfilled or something that you desire. That's what the definition of hope. It is a human characteristic that's found in every single one of us. Every one of us hope for something. We all hope in something. We hope for good help. Help as if you work for, you're, you're an employer, I guess you're hoping for good help. We hope for good health. That's one of the key things we hope for. We hope for happiness, a good job, people to like us, things to go our way and to get what we want. It's just a natural instinct that we hope for things. And you think about it, how many times did you use that word this morning alone? I mean, you think about your own self, and I look at that in the medical profession. Hope is one of the last things that people give up on. Hope for a treatment. Hope for a cure. Hope for God to intervene in the situation that I'm having to deal with. And that's a a secular type of hope. But let's look at this. Christian hope is securely based upon the words of the Almighty God. Christian hope is based on God, the creator of the universe, the Almighty God. That's what the Bible says. It's based on God's character, who He is, what He is, what He's done for us, what He's going to do for us. It's all based on Him, and that's why we face Christian hope. Christian hope is based on the promises that God has made throughout the Bible. He's made promises that have been fulfilled, and when you look at His promises, He's 100% accurate and it's successful in everything that has come to fulfillment to this point. God has planned it. He said it. He's talked about it, and it has came to f- fulfillment, and so we can count on the things that are going to take place going forward to be exactly the way God has said they're going to be. No matter how dark the present age seems, Christian has a light that's going to come. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Man, it can be dark. Our situations can be dark. Our personal situations can be dark. Our corporate situations can be dark. Our country situations can be dark. But when we place our hope in the one who is the source of all hope, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Amen? He's the light. He's the one we've got to sink into. People need to have hope, and hope placed in the personal promises of God is secure. It never be taken away from us. Once you have it, once the Holy Spirit's inside of it, you have that hope. It can never be taken away from us. People need to have hope. As we enter the Christmas season, it's a time when we look at the, one of the most significant promises that God has ever made to us. It's a gift that he gave us. It's one of the greatest promises that he gave us. It talks about the coming of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ, who would become the Savior of the world, who would take away the sins of the world, who would be the one who would be the sacrificial lamb, who would be the one who would take mine and your place on the cross. It's a promise that is found in the Old Testament hundreds and hundreds of years before it's been fulfilled, and it's based on the character of the one who made the promise. And if you can't trust God, you can't trust anybody. Amen? He's the one we trust. Isaiah 9, 6. Let's go back to this. Now listen, one verse of Scripture. I want you to lean on this one for a second. For a child will be born 
to us and a son will be given to us. There is so much information in that one verse of scripture. A child will be born and a son will be given. You've got to distinct between those two. This first scripture declares that both the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. A child's going to be born. A human being's going to be born. It's going to be just like any other baby from a from a, a from a human standpoint. But the Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to be inside of that baby. He doesn't give up his, his presence of deity as being the Son of God. is God in himself becoming flesh for us. And so that one verse of Scripture talks about all that. A child will be born in Bethlehem to a young woman named Mary. That is not as significant as the fact of who is being born. Amen? A child being born to Mary. But the Son of God will be given to us in this birth. You think about it. That was a little bitty baby, and babies are beautiful, and babies are, are awesome to have. But the fact that this baby, can you imagine what Mary looked at when she looked in the eyes of this baby? It was different than any other baby. I know it was her first baby. But let me tell you, mothers look into the eyes of their babies, and they see things that, that other people don't see. Amen? Me and you don't have no clue what I'm talking about, do you? I don't have no clue what, you're talking, what I'm talking about. But I know what mothers tell me. I know what women tell me. When they look at that baby, it looks different. I can only imagine what Mary saw when she looked into the eyes of that newborn baby. I can only imagine what God gave her. He gave her a gift, but then at the same time, I'm sure he gave her some intuition about what he was because she saw him all the way. She saw him all the way to the cross. She knew who he was from from day one because she had been told by Gabriel who he was going to be. The Bible states that Jesus took on the form of a human being. He had human emotions. He had human feelings. He had every human aspect that you and I have without sin. And there was a purpose for that so that he could endure the things that we have to endure, so that he could endure the struggle that we have to endure, so that he could feel the pain that we have to feel, so that he could feel loss of life, so they could feel the struggle that we have. But you think about it. God put him in the form of a human being who would have flesh, bones and blood flowing through his veins he was just like me he was just like you in every aspect other than the fact that he was sin free he faced the same struggles head on in this world and he provided us with an example to how to handle each and every difficult situation that we would handle he was both a human child and the son of god what a prophecy I mean, you think about it, the, the prophets are talking about it and what a prophecy what a plan and what a gift and God was thinking way out of the box when he did this one. There's no way you could think of what was about to take place and how he, would, how he was going to do this and how he was going to fix this problem of sin. The son child among us provides eternal righteousness. Here's the thing. He provides hope and he provides deliverance. God, when he sent Jesus, he gave us every one of those things. He gave us the righteousness so that we would come back in a right relationship with him, an opportunity to have a right relationship with him. But he gave us Christian hope. He gave us something that was beyond just a secular word, secular hope. He gave us hope in Jesus Christ. And the Bible goes on and says, and the government will rest on his shoulders. We're going to open this up a little bit. I I know y'all might be losing grip with me for here a second, but I'm going to hang on to you, okay? The government's going to be on his shoulders. Man, we're going to talk about politics. That's not what we're talking about this morning. It says here, the government will rest on his shoulders. The shoulders speak of strength. When you think about one of the strongest parts of the human body, what do you think of? This right here. I know y'all think about it because y'all talk about Brother Parker's cut body, all right? I, I, I get it, all right? And it's the older ladies that talk about that. Have you heard that? 
the shoulders, all right? The shoulders are the part of the shoulders, all right, of one of the strongest parts of the body. The strong say this, put it on my shoulders and let me carry it for you. You know, I, 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 I'll give you a little personal thing, and I've shared this with you before, but when I was young, and I know y'all have a hard time believing that, but when I was young, I was working on the farm like a lot of people. But now, Brother Meyer, we didn't have technology, we didn't have cab tractors. We didn't have technology. We didn't have GPS systems. We had plain old tractors and plain old planters and harvesters. But now we only could afford two-row planters. All right? And here's the thing about it. Those planters had fertilizer hoppers on. You had to put heavy fertilizer in that thing. And me and my brother had to tote the fertilizer. I didn't get to drive the tractor. I was manual labor back then. Hold those fertilizer bags, and you, well, you didn't tote them like this. You couldn't handle them. You had to put them on your shoulders. That was the only way to do it. Same thing about getting them watermelons out of the field. Where'd you put them? Tyler, you never had to pick up watermelons? You towed them on your shoulder. We would put those bags on there and carry them because that was where the strength was. When you look at Jesus Christ on the cross, he said, put all their sins on my shoulders because I'm going to carry them for them. Every bit of it, you just put it on me. Place it on me. Put it on me. That's where the strength was at. The government of this world will be placed on his strong shoulders at his second coming. That's what this scripture is talking about. It's talking about he placed them on his shoulders on the cross. But it's talking about the government. The, where he's going to rule as the king when he comes back at the second coming. The government will be on his shoulder. He's going to rule as king. <coughs> Isaiah makes reference to four descriptive names. And I want to break those each one down important because he talks about them in that first verse of scripture. In Isaiah 9, 6. He gives Jesus Christ four descriptive names. Descriptive names refer to the character. And each name of Jesus, each name of God, refers to the character in a time period in, in, in history when it had relevance to what it means. And let's look at each one. Wonderful is the word used. Wonderful counselor is the first one he gives. And wonderful is the word used to describe something, someone, or something out of the ordinary or remarkable. Like, he's a wonderful PA. Y'all know, or not PA. Okay, so he's not a wonderful PT. He's a wonderful PT. I'll give you a credit for that one. She's a wonderful PT. Y'all ever heard of that? Y'all ever heard none of that? Wonderful. He's a wonderful preacher. He's a wonderful pastor. All right, these are all things. When you use the word wonderful and you say she or he is a wonderful at it, you're making reference to their character. You're talking about the individual person. When you look at this, when Isaiah's talking about Jesus Christ, he says he's a wonderful counselor. He's, he's emphasizing what he is. He's a wonderful counselor. He's not just a simple counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. A counselor is an individual who provides guidance and direction. He's someone who gives you straightforward information. You don't go looking for a counselor to give you some bad information, do you? You want somebody to give you some straightforward good information. That's what you're seeking in a counselor. Someone who gives good advice. Someone who gives direction and points you in the right direction. And a lot of times we need to see a counselor. School system puts counselors in the school ever since, everyone. Now, I, I counsel with every couple before I marry them. There's a reason for that. And still, Nick and Heather still got that to go yet. Huh? It's coming, though. All right? But they want to seek good advice and good Direction. We want to see what God's word has to say about it. The emphasis here is on God's counsel and it's on sound biblical advice. If you want some good advice, you read the Bible. 
If you want good, sound biblical advice on, on how to handle certain situations, you look into God's Word because He's always right. He's always accurate. He's never wrong. He details every single thing out. It's God's plan from before time was ever created, and He put it in a written Word so that we could have it and that we could use it. Amen? Nothing better than having God's Word. As we read it, we lean on it. He promises we can count on it, and then we trust Him. Number two, mighty God. Not only is our Lord someone who gives good counsel, and He's always right, but He's strong enough to overcome all obstacles. It says here He's mighty God. There was a reason for that. He's the almighty God. He has power over everything. He has power over all things. He has power over every single person. He's strong enough to come overcome all situations. Does he overcome them all? He does in his own way. In his way, when, when he created us, he created us for a period of time, and our bodies wear out after a period of time, and then we go on to be with him. But let me tell you something. God didn't create us for this world. Amen? He created us to be eternally with him in heaven. That's what we were created for. This is a dress rehearsal, so to speak. This is where we, we, we expand his rule and his reach by sharing uh, his word with other people. He wants us, desires all people to be with him. He's not only a great planner, but he's a great implementer. Not only did he plan things that are going to happen, but he also put them into motion. We've talked about that numerous times, about how the, the sun is exactly the right distance from the earth to keep us warm, to keep us from freezing to death. If it was too far away, we would freeze to death. If it was too close, we would burn up. But he keeps exactly the right orbit around the earth for a specific reason. When he designed the world, he gave us a detailed plan, and he put that plan into function, and then he put it in the Bible. God planned the birth of Jesus Christ from the... Before the beginning of time, he put the pieces together, and we looked at those things um, last, last Christmas, leading up to Christmas. We looked at all the different pieces that went together, all the, the things about Mary, the things about the shepherds, the things about the wise men, the things about all the things that took place going into that, that birth. And we looked at the pieces that he put together because there was a lot of planning that took place. God is superior to all things and all people. Nothing caught him by surprise. He didn't wake up this morning and say, well, I didn't see that coming. He's superior to all things. You think of the power that he has over all things. And when we look at that, he has power over Satan. He has power over sin. He has power over disease. He has power over death. He showed you that when he brought Jesus out of the grave. None of this intimidates God. When we think about sickness, when we think about cancer, when we think about disease, when we think about it, when we think about from the pain that it causes us, none of it intimidates God. He knows about all of it, and he'll walk with us every step of the way. Number three, everlasting Father. These are two good words. Everlasting means endless. It doesn't stop. When we look at Father, we, want, we anchor into the Father. We, you know, Father's Day, we talk about Father's. And, and some of us had really good fathers. Some of them have not as good as you others, but, but still we have a father. None of us got here without a father. But we look at this one right here. This is an everlasting father. This is the heavenly father. This is God the father. God is the kind of father who cares for people who can't care for themselves. He cares for people who don't care for themselves. He cares for people who can't take care of themselves. He cares for all people. He desires that all people have a relationship with him. He disciplines us when we need to be disciplined. Amen? I didn't get an amen on that. Y'all ever been disciplined? Amen. All right? Discipline is different today than it was when I was growing up. Y'all didn't know that? Some of y'all might understand what I'm saying. I, told, I tell that, that my father gave me a, a whipping before we went to church. So I wouldn't act up in church. Yes, sir. 
Y'all had that before? That's the, you get another one when you get home if you act up. I don't think that takes place these days. But he disciplines. The Bible says that he is tender. Look at this. These are what the Bible says, that God is tender. He's faithful. He's a guardian. He's a provider. provider and he's a loyal presence. Those are all characteristics of God. That's what he says he is. All these things are what we want in a father. When you look at a father, you want him to be like my heavenly father. The things are the same thing. Scripture teaches us that God is an everlasting father, the kind of father that's full of new mercies every single day. He's full of new blessings every single day. He's full of forgiveness every single day. Just because we were forgiven yesterday and, and there's, there's other issues that take place, he forgives us every single day. All we got to do is take it to the foot of the cross. Prince of Peace is the fourth one that Isaiah referred to. Prince of Peace is very important. Christ conquers and removes all the things that take away from peace. He's the Prince of Peace. We have no peace. Let me give you some things. And you know that little phrase. If you know God, then you know the source of all peace. And we're going to talk about that this season. But you've got to know God to know the peace that he provides because he is the source of the peace that surpasses all understanding. But you have to know who he is. You have to have a relationship with him. When there is no God in a person's life, that person has no peace. Amen? They may be looking for peace. They may be struggling and may be trying to find peace in a secular world in, in material issues. If, if I just had a better job, if I just had a newer car, if I just had a little more money in my checkbook, I would have that peace. But let me tell you, you only find the real true peace in Jesus Christ. You cannot know God the Father if you don't know the Son. Jesus said that in John 14, 6. When Jesus takes his rightful place in the kingdom, and hang in there, I'm almost done, all right? I've only got about 30 more minutes. When Jesus takes his rightful place in the kingdom, peace will reign and it will reign forever. There will be no end to it, all right? Our peace is only possible because the Prince of Peace has made a way for us to have peace with God. Jesus Christ loved us enough that he went to the cross. He never hesitated. You know, he, he, he prostrated in the garden and he cried out to God. But he never deviated from the plan that he had. He never deviated from God's word. Ephesians 2.14 reminds us of Christ himself has brought peace to us. It says this in Ephesians 2.14. For he himself is our peace. We who made both groups into one and broke down the barriers of a dividing wall. He, he, he joined everything together. It's not politics. It's not division in the country. He, he put it all where everybody has the same opportunity to come to know him. Christ reconciled all people to God through his death on the cross. He made peace possible on the cross for you and I. He came. He came into this world for one purpose. He went to the cross for that exact purpose. He died on the cross. He, pick, he picked up the entire amount of sin that we had years, hundreds and hundreds of years years of sin that had accumulated he took it all on his shoulders on his shoulders with him to the cross he took the thorns that should have been on my head on his head and his blood through his shed blood on the cross we are healed amen we're healed because of the blood that he shed on the cross let's look at malachi 3 1 malachi is the last of the old testament prophets malachi reveals to us some crucial prophecies concerning God's messengers. And he talks about the messengers. And there's a couple things to know about messengers. And he's going to talk about two different messengers. The most important thing about a messenger is not 
who he is or where he come from except for when you're referring to Jesus Christ because it's important who he is and it's important where he come from. But when you talk about the general messengers, the most important thing concerning and coming from the messenger is the message that they bring. Think about it. When Gabriel appeared to Mary, it wasn't Gabriel that was important. It was the message that he brought to her. Look at Malachi 3.1. Push it on. We see the promises God made when he says this, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger. You look at that. This is God speaking. This is Jesus Christ speaking. And he's saying, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger. All right? I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way for me. The messenger that God is referring to in this past scripture is who? John the Baptist. That's the messenger. That's the forerunner of Jesus Christ. That's who's coming ahead of him. That's who Malachi is sharing with He's talking about, who God's talking about. He's going to send. John the Baptist made it clear that he was not the one that was important. Throughout his testimony, throughout his message, throughout his teachings, he made it clear over and over and over. You don't even need to know my name because I'm not the one that's important. The message that I bring you is important, and the messenger who's coming behind me is the one that you need to know. That's what he talked about from start to finish on his message. The one that's come is going to fulfill the prophecy. Malachi 3.1 pushes on. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. He's the one coming, says the Lord of hosts. Jesus Christ is the messenger of the new covenant. And that he fulfilled the demands of the covenant in his life. When he suffered the penalties and went to the cross for us, he fulfilled those covenant. He rose from the dead and with the new covenant of grace. Now, here are two different messengers in one verse. John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. You see them both in the same verse of scripture, but two different ones. While there is an anticipation of the coming of the Messiah found in the Old Testament, and this is a promise that was made hundreds and hundreds of years before it was fulfilled, this verse of Scripture actually points to the second coming of Christ when he's yet to come because there's a reason he's coming again, and it's going to be a a little more significant when he returns the next time because he came the first time with a whole lot of love and a whole lot of issue to seek out and save the lost. There's a whole reason he came the first time, and there's a whole reason he's coming the second time. God sent Jesus to this earth the first time as a Savior because he was gracious and he wants to save the lost. He desires that all mankind have a relationship with him. He desires that all people come to know him. He desires that all people grow in a relationship with him. That's why he sent Jesus Christ the first time. But it doesn't end there. Jesus is coming again as a messenger of the new covenant. And this time he's going to execute judgment and justice on the earth. He's coming again as a judge is what he's coming as. He made it very clear that he intends to judge mankind. God has made a promise to send Jesus on two separate occasions, and he's already sent him on one time. The first time he came to seek and save the lost. The second time he's coming to judge mankind. Now, here's the deal. We have a choice. You can either have him as your Savior or you can have him as your judge, but it's not going to matter one way or the other. You're going to have him one of those two ways. There's nothing you can do about changing that except for receiving him as Jesus Christ. Now, let's bring it all together. Christian hope is found in Jesus, and Christmas hope is found in Jesus Christ. And we start talking about Christmas. When we decorate, things look pretty, you know, green and red and wreaths, and all these things look pretty, Christmas trees. But to some people, Christmas is just a holiday. I mean, it's just like Thanksgiving. It's just a day off of work or a couple days off of work or maybe a, a week off of work or the end of the year off of work. It's just a holiday. It's just something that, that they go through from a secular standpoint. When I think about the little ones, it's the excitement of presents and the hope of getting something new. And I got some little ones, and they're excited. And I was one there myself one time, like a couple years ago. Yes. 
maybe that long Christmas celebration of something that has come, and it's a celebration of something that's yet to come. That's what we need to remember. We celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, but it's also about the celebration of his return for who he is. It's going to be the same thing when he returns. Christmas is all about Jesus. It's all about the Savior of the world who was born of a virgin, a Savior who came to this world with the sole purpose of seeking out and saving the lost. That's what he came for, to seek and save for the lost, and a purpose that it would be ultimately fulfilled on the cross. God fulfilled his promise when he sent Jesus to this earth as our Savior. And we can anticipate his second coming because the same God who has fulfilled every single promise to this point is the same one that's saying he's coming again. And man, we, can, we need to be looking for that. There needs to be a sense of urgency in our lives about that because we don't know when he's going to return. Even Jesus said, I don't know when I'm going to return. Only the Father above knows when I'm coming back. And any time when God's had enough of this world, I think he's going to send his son on back to get us. And I don't know when that's going to be. But until then, we want to be serving the Lord. Well, however long that is, however long we're here, we want to be on fire for him. We want to be enthusiastic about him. The Bible says we need to use zeal. Remember that? That means enthusiasm. We need to be excited about it. We need to be pressing it. We need to be inviting people to church. We need to be making sure that people have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can anticipate a second coming because the same God has given us those exact same promises. Christmas is a celebration of when God stepped out of heaven on this earth for one reason, so that we could step out of this earth into heaven. Friends, I'm going to tell you, God loves us. And he loves us beyond. And, and you think about all the things that we've been talking about. All the events that have taken place up to the birth of Jesus Christ. He must love us unconditionally for all to go through all that trouble. Amen? Because that was a lot of trouble. He had to go through a lot of trouble just to get us to where we are. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 2.8 says this, By grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourself. It's a, it's a gift of God. God give us the ultimate Christmas gift in the birth of his son. Give us the ultimate Christmas gift in the birth of Jesus Christ so that we could have eternal life with him. Romans 3.23 says this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. Sin creates the separation between us and God. We can't get to God. He can't get to us. There's a barrier there that has to be gotten. It can't be gotten around. It had to be replaced. And Jesus Christ took that place to make sure we could have access to, to God and have eternal life. Romans ten thirteen says this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I tell you every week that's my favorite verse of scripture because it doesn't matter who you are. It says in the Bible, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says he'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And he'll invite you in. He'll say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the house of your master. That's what he's going to tell us when we get there. When our time on this earth is over, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. And that, to me, that's one of the most critical things to understand. Is that when this life is over, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. And if you don't know where you're going, if you don't know where that eternal place is going to be, that's where we need to dig a little deeper. Jesus Christ provides it for us. He says in Romans 10, 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God made it so simple, and all you have to do is invite him into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. Turn from your ways. Let him be in control. Let him take the reins and lead. And he says... 
He'll invite you in. You become a believer. You become someone who's a child of God. It's just that simple. Maybe you need to know more about this Jesus, or maybe you want to know more about this Jesus. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. But that's just a time set aside for you. It's a time for you. If you know him, great. You want to grow closer to him. But this time of invitation is not just the end of the service. It's part of the service. It's a time when you, you, you tune everything out. And you just focus on God the Father. It's a vertical relationship. It's a vertical time when you spend that time just reflecting with him and talking with him. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. It doesn't matter what other people are thinking. It doesn't matter about anybody else. It's about, I want to get my life right with the Lord. I want to make sure that my life is right with the Lord. And if it's not right, this is when we need to get it done. And we need to get it right. Maybe there's others that uh, want to have a come to the altar. And this altar is always open. There's always a, an altar open. There's always deacons wanting to pray with you and, and lift you up. And that's what we do. We pray for each other and we pray for ourselves. We've been through all of that. But there's no, no better way to communicate with the Father than through prayer. Maybe you want to come to the altar. Well, the altar is always open. I'll be down front. If you don't know this Jesus I've been talking about, I want to tear more with you. I'll, I won't leave till last. And if you want to hang around and wait, I'll be the last one to leave. And want to make sure that you don't leave without knowing. And Father God, I come before you this morning thanking you for who you are. God, I just thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the power that's in your word. I thank you for the birth of Jesus. God, because without the birth, nothing else could take place leading up to salvation. And God, we know that salvation is ultimately the, the gift that you've given us. But God, you give us the gift of your son. You sent Jesus for a reason, God, so that we could be reconciled to you. God, so that we wouldn't be lost in, into a sinful world, so that we wouldn't be part of a sinful world and, and have eternity separated from you. God, we have the opportunity to spend eternity with you. And God, I just pray for our time together this morning. Father, I pray if there's one person in the sound of my voice that does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, God, I pray that this morning would be the day that they would come to know you, that they would turn their life over to you, and they would start to live for you. Father, I pray for others in our congregation. God, where there's struggle, where there's need. Father, I just pray that you would intervene in those situations. God, with healing is not in your will, a complete healing. God, I just pray that you would comfort and that you would guide and you would direct and you would, you would be there every step of the way, just like your word says. God, we just lift up this time together. I ask you bless in our invitation. These things are, I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.